love your setup, by the way. Oh, thanks. It's a lot of old tech in the background. <laughs> Did you go find it or was that some of your old stuff like the Walkman? Uh, actually, our son is uh, a bit of a collector. This is honestly probably 20% of what he owns. There's so much more. He just scours, you know, websites and yard sales for all the old tech. And uh, this is just a little sample. That is super cool, especially the Walkman. I mean, that's, we all use one of those or the Disman. <laughs> Everybody sees the Walkman right away. <laughs> yeah. If you could uh, let the listeners know a little bit about your story, how you got started in a journalism, but not only just that, just creating content and, and enjoying it. I actually started creating content uh, in the early days of podcasting. I had always loved this idea that the internet was a platform where everybody had the ability to share their content. So as a uh, former journalism school student, uh, I really appreciated the intersection of both the internet and media. And I just saw this huge potential to be able to build an online audience. So uh, for me, it's been a, a really exciting journey. And I think for any of us in the content space, you know, it's something where it never really is the same day to day. There's always the, that possibility to be able to innovate in what you had done. And also all of the technology is in a constant state of change. Has content changed over the years in terms of what people want to see versus what they don't? So we all often hear is long pieces or long form content versus short form content. What's good? And What's the benefit of each? I think one of the things that everybody in the content business has to do is to always be up to date on the latest trends because we know that uh, whether someone is listening to your content or watching your content, we know that their behavior is constantly changing. And so what that means for all of us is that we need to understand where is that sweet spot? How long should our content be? What type of content should it be? How can we get it out to you know uh, as big of an audience as possible? And so for for me, it's never really been about uh, is short content better than long content. It really has been about designing content for the platform and the audience that you're going after. So while you know I may do an interview that is 60 minutes long, uh, a, a podcast would be a great place to share that interview. Whereas if I'm doing something on Instagram in, in video format, I might stick to just 60 seconds. So you have to understand, I think, what type of content works where. And I think this is why people in the content business are sometimes frustrated. I'm sure you feel this because we, we, we have to, again, be in this state of what I often call relentless adaptation. And we have to be willing and able to pivot basically on a dime. Oftentimes people just think, oh, you just create content and you place it up there. There's timings, <laughs> there's format, there's sizing, there's messaging what works for Instagram versus what works for LinkedIn and TikTok. It's a lot of work, as you know. It's a ton of work, and I think people really underestimate how much work goes into not just creating content, but also distributing content across social media platforms. You have to know all of those different formats. Like you've said, you have to understand the different tags. Some places will automatically caption your content. For others, you have to create your own caption files. I mean, all of these pieces add up. And, and every day I experience this firsthand, although we have a small team here, I end up posting a lot of our content. And, and it takes me on average, you know, 30 minutes if I want to actually put content on a few different platforms. That's a big chunk of your time to get something out there that you've already finished creating. Mm -hmm. 
And to not know, is it going to retain? Is it going to get attention? Some posts that I have put out there thinking, oh, it's going to be the best piece. doesn't get any engagement compared to some of the other ones. And I'm sure you've, you've tested that before. One of the things that I've learned is that it's hard to really predict what type of content is going to do well. And so one of the things that I've ended up doing and that we do in our business is to understand that um, content can be posted multiple times, even on the same platform. I think this is fair to say if it's uh, Twitter or LinkedIn or figuring out a way that you can create content where you start to notice that that it's resonated with your audience and how do you do more of that and I'll give you a, a super quick example oftentimes in my newsletter I will write something original as my newsletter intro I will then take that newsletter intro and then I might post it as a post on LinkedIn if it continues to do well I will turn that into a piece of video content and then I will share that video across other platforms it's not much more work for me to create that original piece of content but what I've kind of done through that process is tested how it's worked uh, without creating a, a video and without putting in a ton of effort to just understand is this topic in line with what my audience wants. When did you start your newsletter? By the way, I, I am a subscriber and I love your newsletter. The newsletter game is also a really tough game. You know, I, I sometimes have people ask me, how did you grow your newsletter following? I, I'm now around uh, 10,000 subscribers. We started it a few years ago. And I, I really think, unfortunately, I, I don't think there's a, a magic bullet to growing your newsletter audience. It's one subscriber at a time. And uh, that's something that I've really learned. And, and consistency is so critical and so key in that process. So it really has been a long journey. But even just that consistency and that schedule of posting every single Tuesday as we do, one of the things that I've loved about that is it forces me to have that discipline of showing up for my audience. And um, that has allowed us to really slowly grow the audience. But, you know, finally, a few years later, you get to the point where 10,000 subscribers is a pretty good number of people in a dedicated community like that. You know, the question I have is, how, how does someone monetize content? You know, I'm sure you've heard that before. Well, well, how do you make money? <laughs> I've got that before as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think the the question around monetization of content uh, is one that we should all be having more honest discussions about because if you're in the content business, I think you have to understand that a lot of your content is going to be free <laughs> and uh, that's how you build community and, and how you build an audience. Once you've built that community, you then have the opportunity to potentially monetize some of the content. But these things certainly happen hand in hand. So I think we have to think about the, the content business, at, at least for small business owners uh, like us, that it has to happen where you have organic content, you have paid content, and you figure out how they can work together. In many cases, some of that organic content could potentially be marketing content for another sales pipeline. So for me as a keynote speaker, oftentimes when I post organic content, I will within days get a couple of potential speaking leads. That's mm. a great way to not directly be monetizing my content, but I understand the marketing power of that piece of content. You know, most importantly, I think what we all have to think about is how can you be top of mind for any potential buyer, anyone who wants your products or services? And the only way that you can be that is that 
you have to really be in the places where they are. You have to regularly show up. And so it's a matter of me thinking, okay, I want to make sure that I'm the name people think of when they're looking for a technology or innovation speaker or a, a host for an event or a, 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 a podcast expert. How am I going to make them think of me first? And I think it's about putting those touch points out with that type of content across different platforms. We all start somewhere. So that perfection piece, how did you deal with it? That, oh, I'm still not there. I'm still not there. There's still this ladder I got to climb. How has that been for you, the growth stages? I feel I'm still in that growth phase, and uh, I recognize that uh, my content isn't all going to be perfect uh, when I put it out there. You know, I'm lucky enough now to have a, a really small team, and um, we do push out a ton of content. Um, but, you know, I don't lose my mind if there's a, a, a typo in uh, the title of a, a podcast that we've released or in the description. You know, I very quickly get those things fixed. I think one of the things you have to accept is, you know, whether you're at the level of maybe a Gary Vee as one example, or, you know, you're a small business owner, in order to actually keep up with having a, a, a real flow of content if you try to make everything perfect you're never going to get anything out the door I think that's just a reality so uh, I don't um, think perfection is is always the goal I think at the end of the day it's uh, progress is something we should focus on and uh, like the the famous quote says uh, perfection is the enemy of uh, the good and I think that's true for all content creators yeah I've heard from small business owners well do I need to get on social media? It's already noisy enough. Will I even make a dent for just being a small barber shop or a sewing shop? How do I get out there? Is it still vital? Is it is there still importance there? I think that you can make an argument for almost anyone to have some type of presence online. I think it can only build your relationship. One of the things that I have always thought about since my early days in this business is that this is my best chance at success. And what I mean by that is I, I wasn't born into a, a wealthy family. I didn't go to the schools where I necessarily made the, the best connections that were going to uh, fuel my career. So I really knew that being able to create content and get out there and organically build communities online was my best chance at success because I could get in front of people that maybe I never had an opportunity to get in front of. And that feels really exciting to me. So I think whether you are a barber shop and you have just a local community, I mean, the fact that you could, um, you know, connect with 20 times as many people in your community just by being active on social media, that feels like a real gift in 2023, a gift that maybe our parents didn't have <laughs> when they started out in their careers. They didn't have that that opportunity or, or that potential with some of these tools. So I think you really have to see it for what it's worth and, and, and know that, it can really make the difference between having a business that's doing okay and a, a business that's doing phenomenally well. Growing up, were you someone that loved technology or and media as a whole in terms of celebrities and just journalism? Or where did this all come from? 
When I was growing up and in high school, my mom taught computers. So I, I do want to say that that was a very unusual profession uh, during that time. So she taught at a, a night school for adults, and she was uh, self-taught. She she needed work. She learned how to use computers on her own. Still to this day in her late 70s, she's one of the most incredible people when it comes to just being self-taught and learning something she doesn't know. And so we were one of the first families to have a, a computer in our house. Um, uh, so my mom taught us how to use that computer. And so tech had always really been a part of our lives in a number of different ways. My brother also had a, a real interest and passion in technology. So I did have exposure, I think, that maybe some people didn't have, at least when I was growing up. But I also had this role model in my mom, this woman who who showed me that you could learn anything. She still believes that, you know. My mom is one of those people, if she gets, a, let's say, a smart thermostat that someone gave her for uh, Christmas and she doesn't know how to use it, she is watching YouTube videos. She's downloading the manual. She's printing off the manual. She's reading and marking it up. And she's learning how to use that smart thermostat. That, to me, is really that desire to live in this world where you appreciate that you can learn anything, and we all have the potential to do just that. In terms of tech, has it changed over the years in terms of how voice is reached to people, how magnified our, our messages are? Well, I think what's happened um, with the advancement of algorithms uh, across social media platforms is that all of a sudden we have this amplification that we've never really seen before. If you are in the content business and you're a marketer, this is really exciting. You know, this means the potential of re reaching audiences who uh, you couldn't uh, previously reach. But I think what we've learned, especially over the past few years along the way, is that it's not always that good content that rises to the top. What we learn is that sometimes hate-filled content and content that is divisive tends to be the content uh, that gets the mo most attention when it comes to some of these algorithms. So we created a system that really was intended to be helpful and get better content out to more people. But unfortunately, as a result, what's ended up happening is that it's really shown us the worst parts of the Internet. It's so true. I mean, if you spread a kind message, you might get a few likes, but if you some spew hate, you know, people love it and they're fueling on it, especially if you're on Twitter. But right. <laughs> yeah. Imagine you could go on Twitter right now and say, I hate dogs. They're the, the worst animal in the world. And that would get you more likes and attention than saying, I just donated $100,000 to a, a hospital for sick children. I mean, this is really the world that we live in, that the, the, the hate in the world uh, tends to be something that is just stickier out there in the online space. And, and certainly the algorithms help that to rise to the top. Absolutely. I, I just hope one day, you know, we can that can switch and kindness and niceness can just spread like elevate. You know, it's needed now. Me too, and I love dogs, just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> I have one sitting right next to me, yes. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> Best friend, <laughs> yes. Is there opportunity for Canadians wanting to go into the social media business in terms of marketing, in terms of creating a new app or a software? Is there still opportunities out there, or is it just plain and done? We're just reinventing wheels. I, I think 
there's lots of opportunity out there in the social media space and in the tech sector to create something that hasn't been created. Uh, I think there's clearly more competition now than there's ever been. So it might be harder to get attention for whatever it is that you are creating. And I think back to the early days of podcasting as one example, we were one of the first people to put out a video podcast. We had a show called Command N and uh, we were one of the top shows. We were also one of of, of just a few shows who did video with their podcast. Super cool. And so the competition really wasn't as intense as it is now. And I think when you accept uh, where we are today in 2023 with uh, content and the difficulty to break through, you also have to accept that maybe your audience isn't going to be as, as big as you once thought. But if it can be an audience of the right people, that's where you have the potential to be able to really change minds. Mm, meaning, meaningful content, meaningful engagements rather than the volume is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. So it's about those meaningful engagements. I mean, if you're in a really niche sector and you only have a uh, hundred newsletter subscribers, maybe that's all you need. You know, if you're a barber shop and um, you're in a small town and you have a, a few hundred people who are on your Facebook page, but they all live nearby, that's your audience, right? It doesn't have to be 15,000 people or 150,000 people. You just have to reach out to the right people and know how to build community. And I'm going to add something here that I don't think you can really quantify but it's especially important if you're going to be in this space that you love what you're doing and, and, and it becomes almost a hobby because the internet never turns off. And what I mean by that is I think to be successful, and I hate to say this because I, I don't want people to be working around the clock, but I think you, you should want at maybe nine o'clock, if you see a, a message come through on Facebook Messenger, you should want to answer it because you're excited to kind of serve your community that you've built. And if you don't, unfortunately, that's where things kind of fall apart. This isn't a business that you can be in that operates within these really sane hours of nine to five. It really requires a, that extra layer of commitment. Are you seeing a lot more of a transition from traditional media, the newspapers, magazines, going online? And for the ones that are currently existing as magazines out there that say, well, you know, digital is not that important. You know, who's going to pay attention to that? Is there a transition and shift coming? There absolutely is a shift coming when it comes to mainstream media. Uh, you know, if we look at print publications over the past few years, many of them have folded their offerings into some type of digital offering. It's very difficult to compete. At the same time that there is a, a breakdown of traditional media, and I'm worried about this on a number of different levels, I also recognize and I'm exposed to this on an almost daily basis that almost every business now is in the business of creating content. I don't care what type of business you are. If you are an insurance company, if you are a municipal government, there is a role for you to be creating content online. And that means all of us have been tur turned into, in some ways, these little publishing houses on the internet. And so I, I worry about the future of uh, mainstream news and access to news because I, I think that that could and is causing us some problems. But when you talk about content opportunities, I think the world has never been so exciting. There is an argument for content in every industry, in every business that exists. You know, if you even think about, um, again, if I go back to different levels of government, having done just an event with a, a government official recently, you know, there is content that their team is creating and putting it out online. That is part of your job. So 
I think it's a really exciting time to be in this business. You just have to figure out how to tell those stories and how to build a compelling community. And the barrier to entry in terms of creating a website, start creating your own blog, um, becoming a media news source of your local pizza shops around town. I mean, there's an opportunity right there. Why not? There are opportunities everywhere if you just really open your eyes to them. And what you notice, I think, is that the more you reach out, the more opportunities you will potentially get. I mean, this is, uh, it's just a law of, uh, of attraction in some ways, right? You know if you are uh, out there and you're connecting with 100 people online, uh, chances are that a few of them are going to follow your content back, right? I mean, this is going to happen. So I wouldn't worry too much about the people who unsubscribe or unfollow you unless you've done something that really makes that, uh, uh, gives them a reason to do so. I would worry about, um, again, nurturing that community that you have and getting more people to come on board. So to me, it feels like the barriers to entry are really quite low. And I think the opportunity is still incredibly significant uh, if you're willing to put in that time and energy. How does someone in this industry deal with their mental health? Because oftentimes, you know, we can get so absorbed into things and, um, oh, we can ride this as a roller coaster and say, oh, I didn't get that many likes or the views weren't as what I wanted it to be. You know, and emotionally, sooner or later, it takes a toll on you and you're putting your heart and soul into this. What could you say to someone that's dealing with that right now? I think for anybody who's just starting or maybe you've been at this for a long time and you're not getting the traction that you want to get, uh, I can certainly sympathize. I, I know that can be very daunting and, and very stressful, but I would say don't give up. I mean, that's an opportunity to take that piece of content that you've created and kind of slice and dice it and put it out into different formats. Try different times of the day to post that content. You know, there is this perception in this business that it's kind of one and done, right? I posted something, it got no traction. Oh my gosh, I'm devastated. Don't do that. That happens to me. Sometimes I'll post something at 6 a.m. Nobody will will watch it or listen to it. Then I'll post it again at, at noon and all of a sudden I'll get some traction and then I'll post it at 8 p.m. and I start to understand kind of the rhythm of my audience and when they're online. So that becomes really critical and maybe that week it just isn't working for you. Well, try the next week. How can you add a news hook to that, that content? How can you take something that you've already created and say, hey, you know, it's coming up on um, International Women's Day or Mother's Day or, you know, the Canada Day weekend, whatever that might be. How can you add that that news hook there because the timeliness and the relevancy of your content is, is so key and sometimes we forget that we just kind of push content out there but how do I make people look and say oh I should look at this because it's kind of time stamped for where I'm at in my day or my week or my month we often forget that piece of the puzzle as well oh yeah and the psychology I mean you know what times do people wake up usually your demographic what time are they eating dinner and then maybe post right after dinner because they're going to be on the couch scrolling through their phone yeah, and just figuring out, again, what works, experimenting. I don't have any reason to to understand uh, or know why this happened, but as soon as Elon Musk took over on Twitter, I find that most of my tweets get um, fewer and fewer impressions. But if I retweet, even if it happens immediately after I tweet out, I can almost tenfold the impressions. 
listen, there's no logic behind that. I don't know why that is going on. It's never been like that before. But somehow over the past few months, I've learned that, okay, just a, a tweet from me is not going to get a lot of attention. But if I retweet my own tweet, which is totally ridiculous, or, again, there's no logic in that. Something about the algorithm on that platform is saying, okay, we're going to expose this to more people. Uh, so that's what I mean about spending time in the places that you want to be able to build an audience. That is so important instead of expecting that you're just going to post something there and everybody's going to come. Before we get going, you know, a few years ago we were talking about crypto. Then I think it was last year or the year before it was NFTs. And now this year we're talking about AI. <laughs> There's a buzzword almost every year. Um, has NFTs fizzled out in in your world, in a way? The word. It's really been fascinating because in 2018, and I felt at the time I was sort of early among people talking about artificial intelligence. So I designed a, a new keynote presentation that was all about demystifying artificial intelligence. I went out on the speaking circuit, talked about AI for a few years, and there was definitely interest there, and it, it did well. But then all of a sudden with ChatGPT, what we saw is that everybody was talking about artificial intelligence. I mean, it's kind of incredible to think what happened with just one tool where people saw the potential and the power of that tool, whether for good or bad. And so um, sometimes you can be too early in some of, or among some of these tech trends. I think with NFTs, people clearly are still talking about NFTs, but I think they've almost uh, broken off into more niche conversations for people who are really interested in that subject. Whereas I think the difference between NFTs and artificial intelligence is a more mass population, and this has even surprised me, although I'm in this space, a more mass population all of a sudden has been exposed to AI. I mean, they've been ex exposed to it before ChatGPT. They just didn't know it. But all of a sudden, they're recognizing it. And then everybody is starting to understand and talk about the impact that it will have. So I think AI sort of exists in a class of its own where it has officially gone mainstream. And, and that's really the difference, I think, in 2023 is um, people just can't get enough of it. Have people wanted to hire you as a social media manager or a content creator for them? I've definitely had requests over the years to do consulting on the social media side. I really don't do a lot of that. And uh, it's not because I don't love it. I, I did in the early days. That's kind of how I started. I was actually, uh, after working in San Francisco, I was a content strategist for an agency that worked exclusively with Microsoft Canada. So uh, a content strategy consulting position was something that I knew really well, but eventually it kind of transitioned for me into creating my own content. And so now that has become a business in itself. And so I think uh, at the end of the day, I think there's still roles for people to help people with creating content because let's face it, when you look out there, all I see is opportunity. <laughs> when you say you've, you found a way to create a business out of content, how do you, what is the business in that? So obviously speaking engagements, is that ad revenue, uh, sponsored ads, native ads, organic ads? Yeah, so we don't really do anything specifically in the ad space. Uh, what we do at Amber Mac Media for the most part is uh, content partnerships. So we will work with uh, brands to create content in a number of different formats. It could be... Uh, 
uh, short video series on social media. It could be a podcast series, which we've done for a number of different organizations. So we create content on platforms where they want to be able to connect with their audiences. And all of that content that we create is in the category of innovation technology and thought leadership. So we've been able to essentially build a business that has content at its core and uh, there are multiple streams of revenue in the business. But at the end of the day, if you really look at what we do, it's all about demystifying technology for an everyday audience. Do you think people uh, or organizations, small businesses should start focusing on content itself or distribution? Like say, I'm a startup now. There's so much content out there. But there's also a lot of distribution. You know, do you become a distribution hub where you're just pushing out people's content? Or do you become a content agency, kind of like Netflix? It's a really, really good question. You know, I, I say this to people oftentimes if they come to hire me as a host. If they say, okay, Amber, we want you to host your podcast. I say, well, yes, I can be talent and host your podcast. I, I've done a lot of that. But what, what is your distribution strategy? How do you plan to get that content out there in front of people? So that's kind of that second pillar that we can add to any type of deal we do with a potential partner. Say, okay, I, I'm talent, but we're also distribution. So through my social media channels, we have half a million followers and we'll distribute the content. We know we can get a certain number of people listening or watching. And then the third part of that in terms of, of building out our business is the production piece, right? So people will come to us and say, hey, you know, we, we have someone who's going to produce this content and we'll sell them on our production services. So why don't you hire us to produce the content? Well, all of a sudden you've gone from a deal where you're, they were just coming to me to hire me as talent and now they're getting talent, they're getting distribution and they're also getting production. To me, this is the way that you really can grow a business is by being able to serve all of those different needs. Uh, triple threat approach on it. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Before we get going, Amber, for the young Amber, what would you tell that girl or anybody that's inspiring to be the next Amber Mack out there? <laughs> A tech leader, um, someone that's just so influential in what you do, which I love and passionate. Um, what could you tell her? I think for the next generation who is getting into the business of demystifying technology or just in technology in general, I would say uh, don't, um, don't discount the potential that building your own brand can have on your overall career. I think that's one thing that we don't think about enough. You know, I have people say, okay, I've applied to this job or I applied to that job. I, I sent them my resume. I really want to work here. Well, if they don't really know who you are or what you're all about, it's going to make it harder for them to hire you. Don't make it difficult for someone to hire you, you know? Give them all the answers. And the all the answers can come through via a personal brand that you've built online. So I want people who think, okay, well, I'm, I'm thinking about getting a – a professional speaker to come at my event. I want them to talk about artificial intelligence or innovation. Who am I going to get? Well, you know, all of a sudden I'm able to send them content and all these different pieces that will help them make that decision. So I think for that next generation, I, I would say really build your brand, include the, your passions, the things that you love, uh, create um, that portfolio for yourself online and it will just help to really give you that 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 edge and that step up as well no, i appreciate that well thank you for your time today amber thank you so much for having me mm -hmm.